in the pandemic, books were not socially distant from us. It was one of the comforts for a lot of people. There were books to read and books to follow and books to look forward to. But one of the strange things about reading, although it's done silently and it's done alone most of the time, that you want to share books, that if you like a book, you want someone else to read it, that you love the idea of a book that is, in a way, being, being part of the community or part of a community of readers. With that in mind, the art of reading is a way of bringing readers together, is a way of choosing books that I think people might like because they have given me a lot of pleasure and having a discussion about these books and bringing people together so that we all know that it's not just that reading is a form of pleasure, which it also is, but it's an art. It's actually a way for us to engage intellectually and imaginatively with words, with sentences, with what writers have done. And um, so for that reason, um, I want to share these books that have mattered so much to me. Look, I wonder if you could start um, by reading us a passage from the book, just so we can get a sense of the voice and the texture of the writing. Absolutely. Uh, it's lovely to read from a book that's obviously been read, um, which is <laughs> wonderful, wonder, wonderful, no, genuinely. Um, so this is called Best Ships in Town. The book happens over a lot of short episodes rather than uh, chapters as such, so I'll just dive right in. Slouching over the cockpit, or whatever you call it, the wee box where she sits, the Bjorn, the shippy, saying salt and vinegar with her eyes glazed over. See, it's not even a question, more of a statement. And the troglodyte next to her just starts pouring salt and vinegar over me chips. Just mechanics, all repetition and muscle memory. At the same time, though, who doesn't like salt and vinegar on their chips? Racking cocks his head and smiles at me as if to share in a joke. We go in and sit in one of them wee boots at the back of the Europa to eat our chips. Racking has a batter burger too. Europa does a great takeout trade, but there's usually no one in there sitting at the back, except a few hopeless old lads whose lives got away from them somewhere along the line. Just sitting there staring at peas or egg and chips, prodding them from time to time, wondering what happened through the mist in their eyes. So it's a good place to talk because them ones don't know, notice nothing at all. This time, though, there are all these fucking kids screaming and running around the place all the same. I don't mind because that way no one can hear you. Not even the El Misty men. Dead annoying them kids. But, I, but still, I can't f- help feeling sorry for them having their birthday party in the back of the fucking Europa. Class chips, though. Racking looks at me and says, you thought about the job, did you? I sit back a bit. I tell them I did. And I found a way to do it without making much noise. He doesn't say nothing, just shoves half the batter bur- burger into his gob, pulls off a bit and brings it to his jacket pocket. I watch it and the flap starts bulging. It's that fucking rat, his nasty pet rat. And it just peeks its head out, looking somewhere between scared and vicious and grabs the meat and disappears back in. He brought the fucking dirty rat with him into the restaurant, for fuck's sake. I says to him anyway, 10 kilos of the pure driven stove, that's too much to be getting rid of in Ireland without folk asking questions. But you could get rid of it, say, in 100 grams ago, but that would take too long, pain the hole. So I says to him, I'll take it to England. Now, I'd never been to England really, but he didn't know that. I, I didn't much like the idea of going to England, but I reckon 10 kilos over there would only be a drop in the ocean, sure. 
I tell him we go on a wee road trip, pack the stuff into the sides of the car, the doors and that. And sure, I just roll off over to Liverpool or Hollyhead or one of them places down to London, offloading a bit here and there as I go. Best way of avoiding attention back home. Racking sets a real serious look at me. I didn't know you had a substantial network of contacts in the UK. It always sets me head a spin when the racking does that. He switches from talking normal to talking like he was presenting the nine o'clock news. See, the racking, he's an educated chap, has a degree in French or economics or something, so he does. Fucking clever bastard too. Still, he's, it's mad to see him switch things up like that, especially with the pocket bulging away on him, the dirty yellow rat that's in it, sure. I tell him I don't, but Annie has loads of contacts over there in England. She's been there loads. She went to some posh boarding school there and she's been clubbing and all that. She'd love an excuse to get back. She's pals with half the Coke dealers over there, so I'm making. And I said, we can get rid of a half kilo at a time, I reckon. I tell him this and his brow goes all mad naughty on me. I told you not to be fucking telling anyone about this, especially not Annie. I didn't say a word. I'm, I'm just saying, that's my idea. I'll get rid of it in England and she'll help me. And she won't know nothing till we're over there, right? Just trust me. She can't, he calms down, thinks about it. That's the thing, see. He's not like other people. He can actually think. I tell him all I need is for him to get, just give us the, the go-ahead. Just then, a gaggle, gaggle of kids, them kids burst out of their boot, screaming, squealing and chasing each other. They run into our table, knocking over the Rat King's drink. One of the wee girls falls over on the ground, sure, and the Rat King lift, leans over to lift her up, because sure, she's crying in that. The mother or auntie or sister who, or whoever's in charge of them all, them kids, comes over, all sorry, sorry, and thanks and sorry in that. The Rat King lifts the wee bure up in the hand in, 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 and hands her over, and sure, you sh should have seen the look on her face, the mother, sis, aunt, mother, auntie, sister one, when she sees an STL half-year che chewed off him. And just then, the rat pokes its head out of his pocket. Pure horror show in her eyes, like, they all clear off the lot of them, and half of the chips still on the plate, sure. Then we're left in silence. Just the scraping of some elfless fork off the plate, no only sound in the place at all. Racking looks at me proper serious again. Just do what you think will work, but for fuck's sake, do it quiet. Don't say a word to Annie about where it comes from, okay? That stays between you and me. Annie, I wouldn't have her selling fucking Smarties for me. He stuffs the last few chips in his gob. I'm not really happy to have him talking about Annie like that, but I say okay anyway. Fuck it, sure. Job on, I says to him. Thank you very much. Uh, you. Is this on? Yeah. Thank you very much Thank for you. that. Um, I suppose the, 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 the word I want to start with is the word um, picaresque. The idea of what form do you use for a novel? You know, in other words, if you base a novel on a plot, then you have to keep tightening the plot, keep making things plausible for the plot, you know, keep working on is this necessary for the plot. But with, with the picaresque, you can work with voice. And all you have to do is send someone on a journey and it doesn't really matter if they get there or not, and it doesn't really matter what they achieve there. The whole point, it begins with Don Quixote, is how much fun you can have going the wrong direction, <laughs> how much fun you can have misunderstanding everything you see 
And the whole point then is you can get into, I suppose, that you can get in the voice a sort of comedy that can come anywhere you want it to come. And you can also make pathos. You can also make extraordinary levels of emotion anytime you want. So I suppose the first uh, question I want to ask you is, can you just treat what I just said as a question? <laughs> uh, say, is, is this novel you have written, Mr. Cassidy, w- would it be part of the pic- picaresque tradition? Is that, is that a good question? Yes, great question, yeah. Uh, I, and I suppose, I think it is. I just wish I hadn't known that when I, when I, <laughs> when I wrote it. Um, so, I, 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 you know, I, I'm delighted to uh, have be here and, and to have read this this piece, which I've never read in public before, that particular section, but I sort of decided recently that I should sort of be, you know, be, be kind to the different sections and read, read amongst them a bit more because I tend to lean on a few that I'm like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure this is good. So I'll just keep reading that bit and, you know, hopefully they won't notice, you know, hopefully they'll just, they'll buy it. But, uh, I mean, of course, that's exactly it, you know. And and it, for me, the entire essence of of Iron Annie um, is is that it's the voice of Aoife. It's her sort of her trying to reconstitute, you know, what was in in a lot of ways a very damaging thing, but also, I don't know, you know, exactly as you say, you know, plot in that sense to sort of suggest that there would be a kind of a central learning and a, I, I think that this is it, it's you know you can do great things with that but I found it much more interesting to sort of get into this world of empathy to write a, a character that's very different from me uh, ultimately speaking has had a different experience and, and and sort of is is it her own person you know? I suppose the, the 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 other thing is that any Irish novel is a flag put up over a place and often that place is very very specific if you could go through all the writers you can think of and think that Ireland is never the question the question is the exact town or the exact city or sometimes then it's a flag over a sensibility a sensibility you can both use your own or you can work with one you can invent one but I suppose that the first question there is really a question this time <laughs> there is really a question this time can, can you just um the great, um, I mean, the painter Patrick Collins talked about Irish light, the light he remembered, as being an unmuddied stream for a painter, meaning that Cezanne had not been here, Matisse had not been here, you know, Constable hadn't been there. So he could work as though no one had worked before. And, and uh, it strikes me that Dundalk especially... Um, <laughs> has a tone and a sort of texture mm. that has not made its way into the literary tradition in any serious way. And therefore it's wide open for you. It's a lovely gift. That's Dundalk. what I thought too, you know. So could you, um, I mean, could you, could you describe Dundalk to us? It's all, it's all um, there, folks. I, I, mean, um, I, mean, I, I mean, I can help you. Uh, the town's not like other places, though Dundalk's alive. The town remembers, knows how to hold a grudge. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, and I suppose I, I think, like, I grew up there, but more, and I, you know, as a, especially as a teenager, I had a very sort of intense connection to the place. Um, and then I left, you know, which was the, the sort of, the, you know, like a lot of small, medium town, medium-sized towns in Ireland. You, you grow up, you leave, you, 
you know, maybe you come back or, or, or don't, but I sort of did in, in after a decade being abroad after college, after all that, and, uh, sort of discovered after, you know, I, I'd lived in Paris. I did a doctorate at the Sorbonne. I was having this incredibly, you know, enriching life there. And, and yet it was very stifling you know, because exactly of this question, everything had been done. And if you wanted to write a novel, ha ha ha, you'll never achieve you know, what they, what they did in the 18th century, never mind the 19th century. And nobody even talks about the 20th century. So, so in returning to Dundalk, um, kind of slowly and in drips and drabs around the year 2016, 17, uh, sort of, I realized that, you know, some people who had stayed there or returned there were doing kind of, especially in the, in, in the realms of theater and music, such very, very bloody interesting things that, that, you know, I realized that in, in places where you are so burdened by, by, by kind of, um, by precedent, you don't get away with. And it sometimes results in, 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 in creative genius. And I sort of wanted to give that a go with the novel. Um, hence Iron Annie. And you get, uh, the town's like a safety valve for the rest of the country. Which I think is true. And yeah, well, could you expand on it? Uh, the, 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 the whole idea of El Paso, the whole <laughs> idea of, you know, uh, your safe haven, um, all, all those things that come from the troubles and come from being, being a border town. Well, I, I think there's no better place to talk about sort of the border sort of sensibility than here in Donegal on the border. And, and I think there's a lot of shared... Um, experiences. Dundalk is, is a little bit different being on the East Coast and sort of on this corridor uh, between Dublin and Belfast. But uh, I, I just mean to say that a lot of the kind of the lessons or the, I, I reflect on that a lot and especially did in writing Iron Annie that kind of the inconveniences and the difficulties of the border were sort of a boon in the sense that they allowed for the creation of an entirely unique culture you know we, we we love to complain about the border but it did give rise to an incredible sense of humor you know which people here will be will will be uh, very aware of because what, what do you what else are you supposed to do you have this massively inconvenient thing running through your life you know literally in a lot of cases so you have to you have to get on you have to live with it and you know then that extends into other things sort of Smuggling is the is is the great one everyone talks about. But but I, I'm interested in this is kind of like language, humor, um, and community sort of triad that I sort of see it as having created in in Dunark. And that 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 sort of resides, that survives, you know. Uh, I yeah. I mean I mean um I suppose the question of language arises then, doesn't it, where the sensibility and the um what I'm talking about, the flag comes in the shape of words and comes, uh, especially in an idea of a living speech, mm. that you find a living speech that has not found a literary tone, mm. and then you, you begin to mold it. Um, you know, it's not as though you're just writing it down raw. You're finding ways of making the most, um, I suppose, uh, the most common type of speech into a sort of sour poetry. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, thanks. That's a question uh, as well, course. by yeah. the way. Is it? <laughs> Uh, are you, you know, uh, am, I, am I? Yes. No, but no. I, I suppose the question would be: Did you find anything in earlier 
novels or in, if not even novels from anywhere else that gave you a sense of what could be done with the speech of this of the speech of Dundalk? This is really interesting because I mean people would often sort of say to me afterwards, "Oh, is this sort of inspired by Irvine Welsh then?" Or, or somebody like that, and I had not, I swear to God, I'd, I'd seen Trainspotting, uh, I hadn't read it, um, though, until after I read Iron Annie, and I don't think it's really ploughing the same furrow at all, but, you know, it's a great book, um, but it's, it's, it wasn't exactly that, I was more trying to capture the sense of place, in a sense, and, and to make Dundalk, a character. Um, it's, it's very interesting because I have recently finished my second, I mean, second to be published. It's a great no, title, by no, the way. Novel, which tooth and nail. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we could talk uh, a lot about that, but we're here for Aaron Annie, I suppose. But the, the title, you know, tooth and nail, when that came, it really sort of was like, oh, now I know what the book is. Yeah. After three years torturing myself, I knew what it was. It's tooth and nail. Okay, great. Um, which is trying to do different things as well. But in, in the case of Iron Annie, it was very much sort of like at that time, Dundalk felt so alive and such so essential to me that I wanted to conjure it and to, to make it a character in the same way Eve is a character, in the same way Annie, Shami, Racking, Dundalk's there too, as a living character in, in, in the story. So that was that was more rather than sort of anything political per se or anything sort of I, I, I can't really speak to what other people were trying to do. Is there a shadow novel, a novel either written or imagined before this book in which our young man goes to Paris and um, contemplates uh, various existential <laughs> matters and then realizes <laughs> that actually that it's Dundalk, you know, that, that Dundalk becomes for him a sort of haunting presence. Did that book ever get written or did it ever get w w imagined um, before I, this book? Yeah, when I was 21, I wrote a novel um, very in, in, in a sort of a feverish way. It was a beautiful experience. I recommend it to anyone who uh, would want to do that, you know, just go and get rid of yourself on the page, you know, <laughs> and, and then you're over uh, and then I sort of did another uh, kind of warm up for Iron Nanny, which was nothing to do with that, but it was in Paris. And then I, I just sort of realized that wasn't what I wanted to start with. And yeah, not a, not a shadow as such, but let's say a warming up. And there was a bit of time between the sort of getting rid of myself on the page thing and then the warm up for Iron Nanny. Uh, um, you're saying that Tooth and Nail helped that the title, which often happens, the title really gives you a sort of sense of the form or sense of what, um, what you've actually been doing all along. Um, did Arnani, what was, uh, could, you, could you just talk about beginning the book or beginning to imagine the characters or, 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 or seeing how you would use um, A, the living speech, mm. B, the characters? Is very specific. I was at a workshop in Scotland at Maniac Moor and I, it, there was a Welsh writer, Niall Griffiths, who, yeah, had, yeah. who had sort of said, you know, we're going to do this workshop with a simple prompt. And um, Did he write, what's the title of one of his books? I was going she, to say, and then she, I thought, she, she, imagine she, if I got that wrong. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote a novel called Sheep Shagger, didn't he? He did, he yeah, did, yeah. he did. He wrote a lot of great novels. Mm. But um, 
you know, it wasn't even him, but another participant, uh, a very kindly, softly spoken uh, Spanish woman living in London who said, you know, I think you should really just, you're so nice, but just, just let loose, be vulgar, you know? And when I did that, I wrote the first page of Iron which remains the first page right. of Iron Annie. You wrote the it there and then. There and there, on paper. That, that, that day? That day. Yeah. Uh, almost word for word. You, you mean you went back to your quarters after that workshop? You no, know, in, the, in the workshop, he said, we have 15 minutes. Ooh, you always feel that 15 minutes is a waste of time for everyone, you know? Yeah. Like, I've done those workshops. You feel, now everybody, settle down for 15 minutes. <laughs> they hate it, and you hate it. Yeah. And it's a sort of way of just... Like, Time-eating yeah, yeah, really kind is. of yeah. exercise. And it was the only workshop, like, that week was the only week of this sort of thing that I ever did. But it was, it was really important because it gave me that page. And in that page, I had Arnan and the voice of Aoife, and I was like, oh, who's this? I need to find out who this is. And six months later, our nanny was there. Yeah. So. I mean, part of the pleasure of the book is the, is the casual humor, is the way in which you're moving along and you're following her voice and you're, and, you're, and you're following her response to the world and you're following her journey. And then she says something outlandishly funny. <laughs> And you, I mean, you just sit up all the time. Or she says something, as you say, outlandishly vulgar. And you just go, this is so great. I, I mean, that you, you act, um, I got nothing but pleasure from her. Uh, but um, the, the question of the rat, um, it used to come up, I, I used to teach creative writing a bit. And you know, often would fi I find myself saying to students, I wonder if your story, if you just put a rat in, you know, in other words, that as you, you know, she went up the stairs, a rat was coming down, that you would get, you know, the readers. But Samuel Beckett has it in company where, you know, there's an old man and he's lying on a bed and there's, you know, it begins a voice in the dark. You know, it's, it's, that's not the first sentence, but it's more or less the, the, the scenario um, that he's alone in the dark and he's looking for company. He's thinking about company and he often says, what good company that would be. <laughs> he suddenly thinks a rat. And the minute he says a rat, you can hear him liven up. And um, your rat is one of the, I think it's the greatest rat in Irish writing, which I think is a lot, you know, in other words, um, if you think about it, you know, every time this rat appears, I mean, I've marked all, all the rat passages. I got excited uh, every time I came across the little, the little creature and he, and he is tamed, but he, but he is also, he plays a great, I think, comic role in that, you know, at those meetings. Um, he brought the dirty fucking rat with him to the rest into the mm -hmm. restaurant. You know, you just go. He brought the rat. Uh, the, talk to us. Uh, I mean, I suppose what I'm asking you is that that whole idea of you're writing a passage describing um, the selling of drugs, the moving from Ireland to England, the whole business of the town, and then every so often a piece of pure mischief comes on the page. Mm. And you can feel your pleasure in writing it. And <laughs> that is, is what's given to the reader. And I suppose, I'm, I suppose I'm wondering, did you cut much? Did you add much? Did you, did you find yourself at draft level saying, I need one more joke, one more thing has occurred to me? How much was added? How much was left out of, of that sort of material? Yeah. Um, this, is, this is terrible because... I mean, and, and I've just gone through the other process where it's like you write uh, numerous drafts and it's very wrought and worked. And I can say, yes, I really 
earn my bread in that sense. But uh, with Iron Honey, it, 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 you know, the, the, I think we got one section of it, but otherwise it, that was, that was but, it. But otherwise you're talking about the written in a sort of white heat of... of, of yeah, it, it happened in a very short time as well. Over six months, and then it was done. And could you could you describe to us where you were and what your circumstances were? Uh, I was time? in Slovenia. I was uh, mostly in Ljubljana, and going, which is the capital of Slovenia, beautiful city. Um, and I would go daily to these um, various lovely cafes when I had an hour free. And and write and sort of I just it was very because I didn't have a lot of free time, I was pretty busy and I I sort of really wanted to get this out. I was I needed to get it out. You know, it was it was really frantic like that. And I, I suppose I should also say that at that time, you know, when I was way out of the literature scene or hadn't published a word you know you hadn't written short uh, stories uh, no 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 i mean i'd written some but i'd not done anything yeah. with them um so it was it was sort of just very me in isolation in Cap i did have two great uh flatmates uh, two women from from there who were very literary people and were also very helpful in kind of like keeping me right vis-a-vis -vis. okay okay you're writing a female character you idiot um let's go you know and they would just they they were very very smart and kept me right in that sense yeah um i suppose the if you're setting a novel in dundalk it's really important to deal with cliche in <laughs> other words to leave it out in other words all the things you you know someone's going to tell you such a novel would need such as a big ira scene you know a big um sense of you know um arms across the border of, of, you know, how close it is to cross Midlen and have a cross Midlen scene with the British army coming out of their barracks. And you didn't do all that. I mean, you really were careful not to put in sort of obvious set scenes. Thanks. Um, I, I, I suppose that also the, the timing of when the novel's set yeah. does play into that. Um, and I suppose there's there is a character there who's in the IRA paddy, you know. And I, I just sort of like I I wanted him to be like there there is a larger than lifeness to this. And I wanted him to be simultaneously the type of character who you're likely to meet who is taking themselves very, very seriously in terms of their importance in whatever. Um, but also sort of you can't really take him seriously. Uh, when you're reading him or or when you're encountering him in, 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 in real life. So, yeah, I didn't want it to be that uh, as well, because the the story really is this sort of picaresque emotional story about the two women and Dundalk and the kind of the context, their, their yeah. network of relationships. The, in that sense, even the, the drugs, and I'm terribly sort of any time I, I, I remember doing an event with a book club in America who had thought it was a crime novel at first, but decided to stay with it because they liked it. Um, and, you know, crime is a genre with its own specific kind of conventions and people expect certain things. And I knew I wasn't giving them that. That wasn't what it was. 
about in that sense. Yeah. I mean, w- w- one of the problems all of us ha- have, I think, um, with language, with just, just with words in, in, in Ireland, is that no one in the rest of the world understands them. <laughs> and, for example, if you put J, he was a big J. You know, even, I mean, I have to say, AI. Did you have that where an AI man at home was someone working for a vet who did AI? <laughs> and he was called an AI man. And they were often from outside the town, and they'd arrive, and they were young, and they'd be in the pub. And they were sort of, fa- they had money, and they were good-looking, and they were young, and they were called AI men. And so it'd be very hard to put an AI man, it's very hard to put the word vet into an Irish novel because Americans think it's a, um, it's a veteran. And then you've got Jay, you've got, um, I, in the car, I've got Mokra and Affirma. I mean, trying to explain someone who's a debater for Mokra and Affirma, what that would mean in Ireland, into a novel where you've got an American that's saying, can you give me this Mokra thing? And also the p- real problem is the word police. Because we don't use the word police, at least I don't use it. You say a guard. Mm. Then a guard looks like someone who was guarding something. And are you meant to explain this? To the, James Joyce in Ulysses doesn't. He constantly puts in names of, of you know, proper names and names of things that are completely Irish and that you have to have a big um, glossary mm-hmm. to understand. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, take me through, for example, the word mulpen. <laughs> um, I may not be a Donegal word. It's certainly not a Wexford word. I can tell you that. Yeah. A mulpen. Would, Mul- you, would you have the word in? I Googled the word today. No, there's a family called Mulpen who, and they're not helpful. And they're not pleased either, by the way, uh, this Mulpen family. Really? No, 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 I made made that up. But uh, Uh, could you, could, could, I mean, I mean, in general, could you take us through the idea of glossary? Um, we, we, this page ends on page 301. There is a, uh, there surely somebody wanted a glossary. No, no, no. Wow. Uh, You're so lucky. Which is, which is really, I, I think, well, I did try to sort of structure it in such a way that when when you when you would read it that you would you would get it as you as you went you know if you stuck with it you would get it which is also funny that you mention Ulysses which I think everyone needs to mention at some stage really <laughs> I, I just sorry no, cliche no no but I do it myself but it's like it's exactly that it's like dive in don't worry you won't get it read it fifteen times you'll be grand. Um, and it's, 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 it's really that thing of letting it wash over you until you kind of accumulate the knowledge to navigate it. And, and Mulpin is this sort of like that I've, it is a word people say it, but it's really very, very specific type of an idiot, you know? So it's like, right. you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's not widely used, I should yeah. say. It's, yeah. And you weren't tempted to put a note at the beginning saying some of the attitudes and expressions of the narrator are not those of the author. Um, but no, and I mean, that, that's a joke, but I'm being serious, where there's some really, really good and accurate stuff about, about guards. I mean, police guards. <laughs> I mean, you get um, guards are, most guards are just looking for a quiet life and early retirement. Why else would you become a guard here? There's only one, there's the only ones that are a real pain are the special branch. Bunch of trigger-happy hillbilly mug savages raised on a diet of dirty Harry and brown sauce. So there you are. <laughs> Kelleher's, Kelleher's different from your average guard. Brainy and dead sound too. But I mean, that, that whole idea of the Irish police who have been provided such entertainment for Irish novelists, you know, <laughs> from the third policeman, even, the, even sad guards like the sergeant in John McGahern. Mm. Nonetheless, their, their, their presence in, in that world of being in between, of being, I mean, for example, in your novel, you have the guard 
the, the woman, who, she's actually drinking with him. She's actually in, in the lockdown. There's a guard included in, inside rather than banging to arrest you. She's in, in, the, in the lock-in, in the lock-in. But I think in the lock-in. Lo- lock did in I the call pop- it a lockdown? Lockdown, you did, yeah. yeah. So, sorry, sorry, sorry. Cause, cause, Thank you. Know, you. That's, yeah, except before all of that. But, um, I mean, but that happens up and down the country, I think, that guards are drinking in lock-ins with dubious characters. Uh, I don't think that's a fiction as such, but, but, um, no, I mean, you're getting a sort of energy from those things in Irish life that we, we really notice that couldn't be like that in any other country. And because it's a border town, you're getting an extra energy from that. Totally. Divilment. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think something very special. And, uh, if it, if it, if it ever does get completely sort of, uh, extracted from the country will have nothing nothing left to give to the world yeah i mean i'm he- i'm hesitant about reading out the passage on page 81 but i will it says fuck me could i fuck a guard maybe it's different her being a detective and that i have to think about it <laughs> i have to say i just like oh god i've never like i've thought you know the way you get to my age and you think you've thought of everything i honestly had gone through all the years without ever thinking about that. And it was, so, there was, so there was a real pleasure sometimes in finding, like there's, there's stuff about Leo, you know, the current Taoiseach, but then there's a mention of, of, about his predecessor. Yes, it's right. And it's yeah. tremendous yeah. because I've never, ever thought of putting anything about Enda Kenny into a novel. <laughs> like it's just, he just, it just didn't lend himself to novelization. I mean, he's very nice, but uh, <laughs> there, there are a lot of little things like that in the book that you just go, wow, this guy is what... I think Henry James, was it Henry James that said, a novelist needs to be a born noticer. You know, <laughs> you know and the, there's this sense of noticing tiny little details about Ireland and making them into, you know, just three sentences in the book that really lift you as the reader thinking, who, wherever this young woman is going, I don't care whether she goes to England or she goes to France, as long as she goes on, as long as she, says, as long as she has more <laughs> things to say... And so you must have had tremendous fun giving her that sort of wit. Um, I would sort of say that, I mean, how she came to me was almost fully formed. And who who knows really what that process is. But, you know, did I give her the wit? It seems like she's a lot wittier than me, you know, honestly. Uh, And I have no problem with that. I'm like... Yeah, I mean, she, does she? I mean, the, the views on Dublin uh, as a centre of paralysis, the views on Cork. Centre of paralysis is, is a. Ulysses no, I know, I know what it is, okay. but um, the one on Cork, she's a fucking linguist, so she is. You can even understand people from Cork and that. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, the real capital. Um, uh, and you say on page 175 that. Ireland, that the mixture of misery and the crack makes for particularly sort of interesting energy. But, but the novel has that, doesn't it? I mean, the whole, the whole idea of the, the, the mole, like, like they're, they're, they're doing this from, they're selling the drugs for money and they're all broke and they're all stuck. Mm. Is that mm. right? Mm. Uh, I, I suppose, like in terms of research, geez, uh, what, what, what do you say about that? I think that this is not, um, that's not that, part isn't too far-fetched I, I i should think in like small towns obviously drug use abuse is serious topic and all the rest but there is a certain type of character who's sort of not in the serious level really they might think they are but they're not really and just kind of like 
doing it to support a lifestyle. And this, is, this has been born through in any sort of even literary research that I did in, in, in terms of reading um, accounts of sort of people who get into this. Um, uh, and then, of course, I, I've, I've left out the main aspect of the book, which is that it really is a great love story. And that it's a tender love story and that there's, 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 there's a level sometimes of obsession, but also of the effort of Eva to notice the loved one, to just keep watching her and thinking about her and describing her, a sort of obsession. And uh, so you, you, you could easily miss that, you know, in, in going on about all the rats and the guards and the... Yeah, I, know, um, I, I and feel the like we should say it's a serious so, literary yeah. work, Colin. No. <laughs> yes, yes, as well as being a comic novel, you actually have underneath it yeah. that you're not being, you're not being comic well, um, I, I, about the love story. I, I would sort of put it to you that um, this, this was... Who, who was this? Said this about God, Ulysses again. But speaking about Ulysses as a comic, comic novel, and this was a moment several years ago that I remember thinking, you know, because again, in, in my sort of shadow days of being a ponderous pen in the ass in Paris, you know, sort of thinking, I, yeah, going to bring Nietzsche into something seem really smart. It's, it's, it's not all that interesting necessarily, but what the power of a comic novel is to make you feel like life is worth living, you know? And I think a novel like Ulysses is very instructive in that sense. Uh, in some small way, I wanted to achieve that with Iron Annie, because though the love story that you talk about, you know, really damages Aoife, obviously, uh, I suppose I'm not really giving much of a spoiler when I say that, but it's not an easy one. It is, you know, her, after the fact, telling this in this obsessive, circular way, which totally in sort of instructed the the way that the structure is working you know it's a circular structure of picaresque going back and forth in time getting sort of dragged ultimately to the fact that she doesn't really want to admit to herself and comedy is the only thing in that that is keeping her keeping her going and actually brings her out the other end in the end you know the comedy which is just life you know that we keep going did your work, um, doing a PhD, being in the Sorbonne, you know, reading deeply in Nietzsche, did, did this help you in any way? I mean, in other words, is, is there, had, in uh, all that reading, uh, even rejecting things, things you weren't going to use or bother with again, that you'd done in your studies? Yeah, you know, I had, uh, I had a marvelous time and it was, a, it was an incredible experience that I sort of half fell into and half kind of, wanted to do it. I mean I did absolutely want to do it when I was doing it um but I realized as I did it that I was doing something because of my supervisors who were who were incredible people um and they kind of allowed me such a degree of freedom uh of expression and and research and so on that I would probably never be allowed again in in an academic environment and that ultimately the things that I was searching for could only be found through fiction writing and that's where i had to go right that's what i did and you were so. doing a phd 
Could you just describe to us what that, that was about? Um, narrative anthropology of collective memory, taking the context of the uh, Northern Irish um, conflict. Was that particularly in so, relation to the border, in relation to Newry, uh, to Dundalk? Or? It, it was more sort of a narratology of, of sort of the process of radicalization over a long period of time. So I was dealing with kind of the case of people who had been involved in that for long periods of time who had gone in and out of jail and kind of what sustained them. And it was ultimately story, um, you know. And, and <laughs> was your thesis based on interviews with people? Interviews and, and a kind of a literary aspect of, to, to it as well. Um, story, folk song, you know, de dealing with graffiti as sort of a narrative form in a sense as well. All anything that you can call narrative, which is actually very huge. I would say, you know. Right. Uh, and uh, so there was a big kind of theoretical aspect to that as well. Yeah. And sort of the, both of those led me to a point where I was like, oh, okay, now I've kind of dealt with that and I want to keep going, but in a different direction. Yeah. You know. So what you're writing here, in fact, is a novel of aftermath. That, that, that in other words, instead of writing, I mean, the aftermath of the troubles. In other words, you have the PS, what's it called? The PSNI? Mm. here rather than the all you see mm. you, you know it's it's now mm. it's it's a world where people are much more likely to get arrested for um selling drugs th than they are to, for having armalites yeah. so that um you, you brought it on to the next phase mm -hmm. the, in, in a way the research you didn't do because you couldn't do because it hadn't happened yet um you are you are imagining a, a sort of future for your own thesis mm. is that far-fetched um I, I I would sort of like to leave them be in their own in their own bra brackets. I mean, I, I sort of um, after finishing the after finishing the doctorate, I, I I kind of I realized that I had answered certain questions that I'd always been curious about, um, and that the way in which I was doing it, it was more in that case uh, a question of methodology and the and the sort of methodology that I had developed was a very literary one in the end. And that for the questions that obsess me now and obsess me as I wrote Aranani, the only way to answer those questions was Aranani. Right. And um, we're noticing, I wonder if you're noticing as well, um, with writers such as you and Eamon McBride and say Anna Burns, writers who seem to be attempting to make it new, to find a new form, to use language in a way that is, um, let's say, you know, textured and worked over and, and um, ambitious, that as though, um, just take three of you, but you, you being one, but it, looking back to the beginnings of modernism, looking back to the moment when Joyce had to realize that he could not tell the story in a simple chronological way, that 24 hours was actually more useful mm. than five years, or mm. that things happening, that the whole business of how to deal with time, how to deal with language, how to deal with story, how to deal with character, had to be re-examined and, you know, worked over and made new. Mm. And that, you know, that this is something that you clearly been doing. And you were talking earlier about Eamon McBride as someone you admire. Totally. And Anna Burns, I mean, I'm delighted <laughs> you mentioned her as well. Yeah. You know, the, I, I think without them, I wouldn't have written Iron Annie, not in the same way, for sure not. And 
So you had read Girl is a Half Form Tin, you'd read um, Milkman. Milkman and the other works, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, um, but especially those two really kind of inspired me to sort of revisit modernism and kind of then go back and actually reread as a more adult person what you can do with that and what you can aspire to. And I suppose that sort of, for me, this sort of triad, I want to call it a triad for some reason. I don't know why this word slips into my mind, but it's, it's kind of like character, place and language, you know, that is at, at the same time particular universal is the, is, is the same, same thing I kind of came up with ontological and epistemolo epistemological, this sort of way in which we as humans are always grasping for a, connect, a connection. And language is one of the tools that we have at our, at our disposal. And this kind of idea that there's a particular language which I developed for Arnani, or the, so, you know, which is, which is heavily borrowing from the Dundalk vernacular, but which is not the Dundalk vernacular as such, um, is a particular type of kind of ontologically linguistic tool to grasp towards could you, could, that. Could you just gloss ontological linguistic tool for us? What, what, what I'm saying there is that it's very specific. It's very, it's, it's using language, always having this kind of like specific um, bounds, like the English language occurred 500 years ago. And it, at some point in time, it will stop. We're using it now in order to communicate and have a conversation and to describe the world around us. But, you know, all through human history, there have been different languages doing this in different ways. And the idea that kind of obsesses me is that there's another, this kind of thing that you encounter in other languages, in, in Latin languages particularly, this idea of the, uh, the language that is particular and the language in general, language which could describe something much more universal in the end of the day, if only we could speak it, which we haven't yet managed to do. And where does standard English, where, what are we going to do with the English sentence then? You know, in other words, that surely what you've done and what the other writers we've mentioned have done, no matter what way you look at it, is political. I suppose, but uh, I, I, I would say the evolution of the English language, which is something that somebody, which, which people tend to look at as a very neutral thing, is not, you know, it's, it has its own... Uh, specific roots and 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 whatever that are all political, right? And the fact that we're in Ireland, in the northwest of Ireland, speaking English is political. You know, even if we speak in a very sort of standardized way as we're doing now, um, I don't. You you know what I, I mean to say yeah, there? Just yeah. just funny. I suppose that um, uh, the politics comes out of silence as much as it comes out of speech or energy. It comes out of lack of energy that you could, you could draw, you, you could draw a line and you could bring it up from Mullamore just over the border and across Midland going up in towards Newry, port it down. And I'm still looking for noise. I'm still looking for a sound. Mm. I'm still looking for even a, even a short story would do me if it came before Christmas, you know, in, in other words, we haven't had a novel <laughs> from port it down, have mm. we? Or from Newry. I know a good poet from Portadown, yeah, yeah, yeah. but... <laughs> but I'm just saying that, that, you know, that you come out of silence. You know, that yeah. these, the, this... Well, that, that, that this texture, I mean, you know... The, its energy comes from the fact yeah. that its energy had not been mined before. Is, 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 is that I, true? I mean, I mean, 
I don't know of an example as such of that, but I sort of did also because it, it, I mean, then you get to the topic of inspiration and it really inspired me, especially having been where I was immediately previous to that. I was like, this is incredibly joyous and, and kind of like living, even if it's not literary as such, mm. um, I want to make it that I want to play with that. I want to have fun, yeah. you know, because it made me feel alive okay. at that time in a, in a way in which like I sort of hadn't grown up in Dundalk. I sort of thought, oh, well, we're kind of the, what, you know, what people, you, you go to Dublin, you tell people you're from Dundalk half of the time, they look at you like you got two heads, you know, still today. I mean, less so, but definitely when I was in college, it's kind of like, oh, from the wastes. Oh, terrible, you know, yeah. but, uh, you got your revenge. Yes. <laughs> Wait till you read my next book. It's even it's 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 fantastic because a good part of the first half happens in total. Okay. Yeah, it's it's glorious. Thank you.